Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, great to see you today. Excited about sharing a message with you. Uh, first, I, I want to ask you a, a simple question. What is the most important thing about you? What is the most important thing about you? Uh, by the way, the answer is the same for every single person. But the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Because it will change every single aspect of your life, depending upon what you believe. Now, the second most important thing about you is what we're going to talk about today. Now, as a born-again person, a Christian, the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. And literally, the second most important thing about you is how you host the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. In John 16, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's your to advantage or it's advantageous for you that I go away. Now, he has spent 24-7, 365 with these guys for three and a half years. They've seen miracles and healings and deliverances. Their lives have been totally, radically changed. And Jesus said, it's better that I'm gone. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the standby, the counselor will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying, you are better off with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you than you were if I was here physically with you. I mean, that, that is an, an astounding, astounding statement. And, and I read that and I go, wow. I know it's true because Jesus said it, but, you know, I just kind of prefer having Jesus around. And you're probably the same way. But the way that we host the Holy Spirit will literally determine the level of the kingdom of God that is manifested in our life in the degree the will of God will be done in our life and in the lives of those that are around us. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and I want to jump right back in in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29, it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, think about this. It's talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Jesus said he, he is a person. He has a personality. There's things he likes, things he don't like. There are things that grieve him, and there are things that please him. When, when Jeannie and I were, were first married, we were in Bible school in Dallas, Texas, and we'd been married about three months, and we had some friends come over. Now, these friends were engaged. Okay, it was Javier and Darlene. Most of you don't know them. And uh, we, we played Rook. And you say, what's that? It, that's a Dutch card game. <laughs> it's all it is, okay? And we're playing, we're playing Rook with them, and uh, she... It was Jeannie and I against Javier and Darlene, okay? And, and she made a bad play. It was wonderful. We ended up winning that. But, but uh, because he gets mad. And he gets mad. He starts yelling at her. He's yelling across the card table at her, you know. And, and, and I'm just like, 
I'm in shock. And Jeannie starts to cry. She, she, I mean, she is just not just like little tears. I mean, she's like, ah, ah. No. don't you hate it, men? Do you hate it when women cry? You just hate it. Okay. But, but the deal was we didn't treat each other that way. She had never heard her father lift his voice to her mother or her mother to her father. And these two, they are just like yelling and screaming at each other. We're both like, ah, but she's crying. And, and Javier's like, well, what's wrong? And, and, and Jeannie's like, you're yelling, you're yelling at each other. And he's like, oh, it's no big deal. We do this all the time. <laughs> but let me tell you, it grieves her. And in the same way, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And there might be something that you think is really normal, but it grieves the Holy Spirit. It says, don't grieve him with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, those are all things it's talking about that grieve the Holy Spirit. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now, it's talking about what pleases the Holy Spirit, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, our wrong attitudes, behaviors, thoughts, values, our talking, our speech, unforgiveness, those are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. But there's other things, again, that the Holy Spirit pleases him. He gets excited about. Um, it, most of you know Jeannie was brought up, her, her family, was, they were farmers. And her dad, he'd work on tractors and he'd be out working in the field and he'd come back and he's all dirty and whatever. And Jeannie just thinks, like, that's cool. I think it was Friday. I'm, I'm looking out the, 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 the window and, and I look in the flower bed and there's just a bunch of weeds. You know what I did? I got out there. I'm pulling weeds. I'm throwing, I'm shaking them above my head. I'm getting all dirty. <laughs> Jeannie, look, look. She said she noticed too. She did. It was good. I scored points. <laughs> you know what? But I know what pleases her. Your spouse, you know what pleases them. You know the things that grieve them. And the, the Holy Spirit, who we host on the inside of us, the Bible says, don't grieve him. Don't grieve the Spirit. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, do not quench the Spirit. Now, really quenching the Spirit is stopping the Holy Spirit from moving through you in your life. And it mentions here, don't despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Now, the, the gift of prophecy, you can come to the point where you despise it because sometimes it's misused. In fact, it mentions here, notice, it says test or prove all things and hold fast to what's good. Over 40 years ago, a man that God used in the prophetic ministry gave me a word. And I was just thinking about it this past week. He, he said, now, he says, all your life, part of the ministry that God's going to give you is going to have to do with healing. And, and, and I've kept that. And uh, it, it's, been, it's been kind of like a, a help to me. And at times, helping give direction. On the other hand, when uh, Jeannie and I graduated from Bible college, 
we uh, decided to go to Mexico. Now, it wasn't like God said, go to Mexico. It was nothing like that. Mark chapter 16 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's go someplace. And we didn't have a lot of money and Mexico was close. So we decided to go there. It's kind of like we were kind of like asking permission. You know, it wasn't like we felt like God said do it. He's like, you know, we'd like to do this. We had peace about it. We came back to just say goodbye to my parents, my, 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 my mother and my, my sisters. And a guy from the church where I got saved that I attended, who was one of the, the key worship leaders at the church, said, hey, we want my wife and I want to have you and Jeannie over for dinner. They lived out in Hudson. We went to their house and sat down to a great meal of venison stroganoff. And uh, as we're finishing up, he says, now, he said, I could prophesy to you. I've got a word from God for you. He says, do not go to Mexico. He says, your motive for going is totally wrong. He said, God, if you, if you go, it is going to be a tremendous failure. He said, God wants you to stay in Grand Rapids. He wants you to get a job at a certain factory. He wants you to do this. He wants you to do this. He wants you to do that. But do not go to Mexico because you're missing God. I'm prophesying. I'm telling you right now. And so we left. <laughs> uh, we talked about it. We prayed about it. And we went to Mexico. Now, the Bible says, don't despise prophecy, but it says test or prove everything and hold fast to what's good. Now, this fellow thought he was doing good. About six years later, he went to Mexico with me and he apologized up one side and down the other. He said, you know, I was so wrong. You know, what he did, and I understand what he did, he looked at me and he said, look, your abilities are not that great. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, and, and, and uh, there's just not much God can do with you. So, so you just ought to stay home. Yesterday, we were at the Spanish church picnic, Jeannie and I, and, and uh, one of the guys came up and he had a podcast from a pastor in Mexico. And he says, oh, this guy's talking about you. And I looked and I knew who it was right away. It was Chuli Olivares. Now, we, we, ran, we, we won Chewy's parents to the Lord and all of his siblings and uh, helped Chewy start a church. And today, that church has about 8,000 people on Sunday morning. And uh, they've started 50 other churches. I mean, no, that's pretty good fruit. And, and that's, just, that's, just one, that's just one piece of fruit, okay? So, so we, can, we can look back and we say, you know what? We, hold, we, we tested it and we didn't feel like that was God. See, so, so often people think somebody prophesies to me, I got to do exactly what they say. And that is not true. In fact, I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 13. I want you to listen. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there's certain prophets and teachers. The list begins with Barnabas and it ends with, with Saul. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Now, notice it says, I have called them. I have. They already knew what they were supposed to do. And the prophecy was a confirmation. But the prophecy was not direction. In the New Testament, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. You don't, you're not to be led by prophecy. You're to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
And there's a, there's a big difference. So several years ago, there was a man here in church who came up and said, hey, somebody prophesied to me and told me I need to move to Africa and I'm going to become a great missionary when I get to Africa. Well, I first said, well, what are you doing now? Are you teaching Sunday school or doing anything? He says, no, I don't do anything at all. Well, let me just say this. It, you're taking a boat ride or a plane ride is not going to change who you are. If you're not doing anything now, you're not going to do anything later. But I said, do you feel any particular call to Africa? No, 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 no. He said, but you think I should go? Because the guy prophesied. And I said, well, if you do, take him with you so you know when to come home. <laughs> Some of you will catch that later, if you will. But here's the deal. Listen, here's the deal. A prophecy will confirm what's in your heart. But it's not to be direction. It's not to be direction. And when we take it as direction is when we tend to sometimes despise prophesying because somebody may be prophesying, looking at you and thinking themselves. They think God's saying something, but it's not God at all. It's just them. So we don't quench the spirit. Uh, just another example. Um, when I got saved, the church, the church I was in was about 30 people. It grew to 100 people. And, and there was a guy that was in our church, young man, and he was prophesying, and he did this like several times. And he prophesied that from this church, God's going to move in Russia, and God's going to move in Cuba, and God's going to move in Mexico. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, you are crazy. You are crazy. Look at us. We're just a bunch of, just, just a handful of people. There ain't nothing going to happen like that. Man, and look back, and exactly what happened, what he said is exactly what happened. It's what happened. Don't despise prophecy, but prove all things and hold fast to what's good. So he says, somebody prophesies, what should I do? If you don't, if it's not a confirmation, in your spirit someplace, you got like this bookshelf, and it's where you put all the prophecies people give you. And you just put them up there, and you just leave them there. And then someday God starts to move on you, and you go, oh, oh yeah, look at there, that is, yeah, that's right, that's right. And if not, you just like, you wait a while and then just throw them away. You know what? I'm preaching pretty good. <laughs> See, but we, we, we quench the spirit when we reject the supernatural. We overlook the things that God does. We aren't responding to his leading. In Psalm 78, yes, again and again, they tempted the Lord. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. Now, the way that they limited God, it tells us what they, they didn't remember his power. And the day when he redeemed them from Egypt, when he worked signs and wonders in Egypt and wonders in the fields of Zorah, he turned their rivers to blood and their streams that they couldn't drink. He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them and frogs, which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to caterpillars and their labor to locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. Now, God did signs, wonders, miracles. There were deliverance, all sorts of things was going on, but they didn't remember what God had done. And because they didn't remember what God had done, the Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, we quench the Spirit of God when we do not remember what he has done. The Bible says in, in Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What that means is this, that what God has done, he will do again. The testimony of what has happened is a prophecy of what 
God will do today. God, let's we'll put it this way, he changes not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. David said, your testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. He's saying, I look at the testimonies of what you've done, whether it's something that's written in the word, whether it's something that you hear. And he says, they're my counselors. Listen to this, Psalms 119, verse 11. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Now notice he says, he has inherited your testimonies. All those stories that you read in the Bible, the Bible says they're written for our admonition. They weren't just written for what happened back then. They're written for you. They're written for me. They are something we have inherited. In other words, when you become a Christian, the God that saved you, that is your father, that you are related to, made all of those things happen. And you inherit all of them. What he did in the past he will do again. The, in the Hebrew, the root word for testimony, listen to this, means do again. The root word for testimony means do again. So, you know, we're showing testimonies of what God's doing in people's lives and around the world. You know, we're not just showing you that so that you'll go, oh, look what God has done. No, we're showing you that so you will realize what God has done for them, he will do for me. You know, a testimony is supposed to create faith on the inside of you. And literally, literally, when there is a testimony, it releases an anointing that what happened will happen again. That what you hear, what you saw happen, it's going to happen again for you. Moses instructs the children of Israel to rehearse to their families the testimonies. Joshua sets up memorial stones and says, every time you walk by, you see those stones, you tell again what God did to get you here. You know, we're supposed to tell our children. Psalm 78, 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. And then in verse 7, it says that they have set their hope in God. You know, they hear those testimonies, and the result is they set their hope in God. Our expectation of God is what determines the level of our faith. Our expectation of God determines the level of our faith. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take his testimonies as our counselors. What God did then he'll do now. What God did for somebody else, he'll do for you. And when we forget his testimonies, we'll do the same thing Israel did. They limited the God of Israel because they didn't remember what he had done. When we don't remember the testimonies, we back off from what God has done. In Psalm 78 and verse 9, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turn back in the day of battle. They didn't keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his laws. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Now, they've got all the equipment that they need. There's, it's battle time. And they're supposed to be going to the battle. They're armed. They're carrying their arrows and their bows. They've got what they need, but they turn back. And why do they turn back? Because they forgot his works and his wonders. 
They forgot the things that he had done because what he had done was what he wanted to do again. In fact, it's what he did with those that didn't turn back. You know, when we forget his testimonies, we become those that the Bible talks about where it says you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. Second Timothy one in verse six. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that is in you, which you have through the laying on of my hands. For God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You know, there are things that God has done for some of us. There's gifts that God has given us. But if you don't use them, you lose them. You know, Jeannie and I went to Mexico uh, when we were first married as missionaries. And uh, I, I knew Spanish. I knew casa, taco, quesadilla, enchilada, chimichanga. I mean, that was a, that, that's how much, that was my Spanish right there. All right, so we get there and, and uh, we learn, we, we, we're, we're learning Spanish. And, and now it's been 36 years since we lived there. But uh, every so often, I'll get invited to go and, and uh, preach at a Spanish church or do a seminar. And you say, what do you do? Uh, I, first of all, I, I listen. Then I get out my, my phone and I get my Spanish Bible. And when I know I'm going to be going and preaching, I listen to 10 chapters in Spanish every day. And then on Netflix, I try to find something in Spanish. Watch it. Get it flowing. Get it going. Get it going. You, what are you, you say, what are you doing? I'm stirring it up. It's in there, but I got to stir it up. Because if I don't stir it up, I stumble a little bit. I might conjugate a verb wrong. I'll do something wrong if I don't work at it. But when I stir it up, man, I get back at it. And in, in just a little while, man, it's just flowing. It's just flowing. Now, the Bible says to stir up the gift of God that's in you. And notice, Timothy is a pastor. In fact, he's pastor of the largest church in the world at that time, the church at Ephesus. Probably 100,000 members in his church. And Paul says, look, he says, I know you're busy. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. You're ministering every day. He says, but you need to stir up the gift of God that's in you. You see, when we don't do something with that gift of God that's in us, it becomes, so to speak, it becomes rusty. It becomes stale. If we don't steward the gift of God that's in us, it will become sour, it'll become stale, and it will become rusty. Now, notice he says it's through the laying on of hands. He said that, you, that gift even came in you. The Bible says that Moses laid hands on Joshua. And because Moses laid hands on Joshua, it says the spirit of wisdom was in Joshua. Because Moses laid his hands on him. You know, so often, particularly today, we, we kind of neglect the laying on of hands. But in Hebrews chapter 6, it gives us the fundamental, basic, basic doctrines of Christianity. And what's in there? The laying on of hands. It is a basic, fundamental doctrine of impartation. Moses lays hands on Joshua. There was an impartation of wisdom. So, we need to use what God gives us. And it's us, up to us to keep 
the impact of every experience that we have with God. It's up to us to keep the impact of the experiences that we have with God. I want you to listen to this. It is 1 Kings 11. So the Lord became very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Now, Solomon had two supernatural experiences where God appeared to him. One of them, most of us know about God said, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. But God appeared to him again a second time. And then what he did, he did not really take those encounters and keep the impact of those encounters alive on the inside of him. And as a result, he ends up, his heart becomes hard towards God. But notice the Bible says he's angry, God is, because he turned away from him who he had appeared to twice. Listen, of whom much is given, much is required. That's what the Bible says. When you're given much, much is required. In the experiences that we have with God, it is our responsibility to make sure that those experiences stay alive and have a continuous impact in our life. In the gifts that God gives us, it's our responsibility to keep the impact of those gifts alive and strong. If we don't, again, if we don't steward them rightly, they become stale and they become sour. And I've even seen people say, well, I don't even know if it really happened or not. I don't even know. I don't even know if it's true. Yeah, it happened. It happened. But are you stewarding it properly? Jesus heals 10 lepers. How many of them came back and gave a thank you? How many of them stewarded what God had done in them properly? One out of the 10. And Solomon with two unusual supernatural encounters with God. But the effect did not last because he didn't steward them properly. Paul is on his way to Damascus. Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his donkey, speaks to him. Now, here's what I think is interesting. Twice more in the book of Acts, Paul tells the whole story. And then three times after that, he mentions it in his epistles. He just kept that thing. He kept the impact. He kept stewarding it. He kept the impact of it alive and strong in his life. So I want to talk to you just a moment about stirring up the gift that's in you and the supernatural experiences that you've had with God that he's done for you. First of all, in Jude, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. One of the ways that you stir up the gift of God that's in you is you spend time praying in tongues. Now, the Bible says over in 1 Corinthians 14 that it edifies you. It builds you up spiritually. It, here it says it, it keeps it keep you in your most holy faith. So praying in tongues is one of the things that we can do to begin to stir up that gift. One of the, the people that I followed particularly when I was younger, man had a vision and Jesus appeared to him in a vision and put his hand, put his finger on each of his hands and says, I'm imparting to you a gift of healing. He said, now, if it begins to wane, he said, if you will fast, it will come back to its original strength. If you'll fast, it'll come back to its original strength. Now, I know for some of you, fasting is a new even concept. Now, let me just say this. Fasting does not hurt God or change God. 
But what fasting does is it separates us from the natural things of this world and helps us connect to the spiritual things in this world. And when you, when you, when you do that, the things that God has put on the inside of you, it begins to stir up those gifts. And then, and this is extremely important, is to be where the Spirit of God is moving. Be where the Spirit of God is moving. How many of you know you could have been someplace else this morning? But you're here. But you're here. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. Now, in the year that King Uzziah died, uh, this for the prophet was a, a bad day, a bad year. Uzziah had been working to turn Israel back to God. And uh, in the natural, it seems like, you know, the, the, the leader has died and things are going to fall off. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The word filled there in the Hebrew is continuous. So, so what it means is this, that it filled the temple and then it kept on filling the temple and it kept on filling the temple and there was more and it kept filling the temple and then more kept coming and more kept coming and more kept coming and more kept coming. So what that means to you and me is this. That no matter where you are in God, no matter what God has done, no matter what gifts he's given you, there's more. There's more healing. There's more deliverance. There's more peace. There's more favor. There's more grace. There's more of whatever God has. There's more miracles. There's more signs. There's more wonders. There's more and more and more. So often we think, well, this is where we are and this is the end. But that is not true. When the Lord shows up, he keeps on coming. He keeps on bringing more. There's more blessing. There's more anointing. There's more peace. There's more deliverance. There's more. There is more. There is more. Second Timothy 1 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that's in you. Stir up the gift. And I'd like everybody to stand. But this is what we're going to do this morning. If you've had supernatural experiences with God, that have just drifted away. Or if you have gifts of God or callings, God has put something on you and that thing has, has kind of just become stale. And you say, today, I want to stir up that gift. I want to invite you to come forward and we're going to pray. And what God is going to do is God is going to begin to take that thing that's in you that has become stale and it's going to get fresh. And for some of you, there's going to be more and more anointing. There's going to, that call is going to become clearer. We are going to stir up the gifts of God that are in you. And we're going to lay hands on you. And we believe God is going to meet you supernaturally this morning. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.